Wentz takes the snap. Looking, throwing, intercepted! Intercepted, David Long! 10, 20, 25, 30, runs into his own man. David Long is taken down at the 46. <laughs> and the Titans have <laughs> shut down the Commanders! And yes. the two! Yes! That is a hell yes! Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. Titans, three straight victories on the David Long goal line interception. How you doing, Justin? Yeah, I've got I've got a question. The audio of that interception, Carson Wentz throwing an interception to the Titans, was that from yesterday? Was that from any game they played against last season? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> no, that was yesterday. I uh, love Dave McGinnis in the background, just uh, laughing as as David Long runs down the sideline. Of course, what a bizarre ending to that game because they end up ruling him down at the two. All the players have already taken off their shoulder pads. People are doing jersey swaps. And then the refs are like, no, we got to get out here to run one quick kneel down. Like In those situations, they really should just say, you know what, it's fine, just end the game. Nothing else is going to happen. Who cares? Formality, they have to go snap the ball. But huge play for the Titans. We're going to recap that game now today and that'll be our only episode this week because the titans enter the bye week so no game to preview but entering the bye week on a three game win streak is a good place to be i think yeah and i think they need a week six bye as bad as any team has ever needed a week six bye right with the injury situation right now so i think you feel really good about the timing of this bye. yes you've won three in a row so part of you might say let's keep this thing going right we're playing well uh, let's keep this thing rolling. But I ultimately think um, I think the buy is coming at a good time. I don't think they're going to lose momentum. Um, I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I, I really think that they're going to use this time to get healthy and and hopefully make some corrections as well, right? So this offense, this offensive line, especially uh, which you and I will get into. Yeah, I really want to talk about the offensive line. We'll talk about the the secondary situation and some guys that could be coming back from injury. But I kind of want to start with the defense here because this was really the defense coming up with a big win we saw this time and time again last season i mean really basically since the titans added jeffrey simmons they have we have seen this team make huge goal line stands that he is a, a key factor on now he wasn't necessarily the reason that the titans came up with this goal line stand but overall for the game jeffrey simmons leads the titans with one and a half sacks Danico autry also had a sack and sam okawanu got in there for half a sack on a play where simmons and autry kind of held up carson wentz and okawanu finished it off so the defense getting pressure all day Tier Tart with two broken broken pass uh, pass deflections in this game, one tipped at the line of scrimmage and one broken up on the goal line as part of that goal line stand. Of course, David Long coming up with the huge interception, but man, can't say enough about this defensive front. Jeffrey Simmons especially. How about the play Terry McLaurin catches a quick pass, slips a Dylan Cole tackle, slips a David Long tackle, slips a Kevin Byer tackle, and then 25 yards downfield gets run down from behind by Jeffrey Simmons. Or the other play, his first 
credited sack where Carson Wentz is scrambling out of the pocket to the left. Looks like he can get the edge and pick up some a big chunk of yards with his legs. And Jeffrey Simmons runs him down and gets him out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. I think that is the key to the Titans' performances so far has been the fact that this defensive front has continued to get pressure. They're number two in the next-gen stats pressure rate right now amongst all defensive lines in the NFL. So I don't know. I can't say enough about how well they've played. Yeah, I mean, so much of the credit rightfully goes to, to Jeffrey Simmons, Dina Kowatri, and Rashad Weaver, right? What the three of them are doing on a weekly basis without the likes of Bud Dupree and Harold Landry um, really is astonishing in, in all honesty, right? Like it's, it's really impressive. Uh, I, I thought Simmons was terrific on Sunday. Like they really couldn't block him. They were bringing those double teams as you'd expect. And he was still beating them. He was freeing up his other rushers, obviously to get to the quarterback. We saw that with Dina Kowatri as well. And how about Samo? right? First career yeah. sack, first career NFL game. That's someone I got to give a quick shout out to. You guys may or may not remember. I had um, published an interview with Sam on broadwaysportsmedia.com in eight, uh, sorry, in May, I believe it was mid-May after he signed the Titans as a UDFA. If you haven't had a chance to go read that, uh, number one, shame on you because it's several months old and you missed out on some quality content. But secondly, it's never too late, right? Head over to Broadway Sports, read that interview with Sam. Uh, I, I think you'll appreciate it even more now that he's appeared in his first career game as a Titan, recorded his first career sack, has a hell of a story, right? Was born in Liberia, torn apart by civil war, worked so hard just to secure safe passage to America. He, he tells me about the moment he landed at Boston, Logan International Airport, just that feeling of being safe, being in a new country. He's got an incredible story. It's one of perseverance, was a good player at, at Maryland, uh, earned a spot uh, with the Titans in training camp. They kept him on the practice squad, call him up for this game. He ended up playing a decent amount of snaps in this game as well. They obviously like the growth that he showed that he's shown um, throughout these last couple months and, you know, re really happy for him to go out there and get his first career sack. Yeah, really, really like just nice feeling to have a player like that on your team that you root for and to see him out there performing well is great to see. Another big you know, feather in the cap of this Titans defensive line after three weeks of struggling to stop the run. They hold the Washington running backs now in this game to 12 carries for 28 yards. And Carson Wentz added five carries for 15 yards. So their total as a team was 17 carries for 43 yards. You know what's crazy? Wentz is five carries for 15 yards at 3.0 yards per carry brings up their average <laughs> rushing yards per carry because the other two guys, 12 carries for 28 yards, barely two point like three yards per carry there. Um, another nice day for the Titans run defense. I think that's where it all started in this game because if the commanders have been able to run the ball, if they'd had any success running the ball, who knows how that goal line stand goes. They get the ball at the two-yard line with 18 seconds left. As the announcers were saying during the game, they could have had time to try one handoff there. And if you don't get in the end zone, you get up and spike the ball and you still have one or two more shots at the, at the scoring a touchdown to win the game. But the commanders go with three straight dropbacks for Carson Wentz. The first one nearly picked off in the end zone by Christian Fulton. The second one broken up by Tier Tart of all people, dropping into coverage off the defensive line. And then the third one, uh, David Long picks off. Yeah, you, you show me your, your hand there with the five digits hold up. Tier Tart leads the Titans in <laughs> pass deflections or pass breakups with five now on the defensive line. Is he their second best cornerback? That's a good question. He might be at the way things are going. We'll get to that eventually. I just wanted to add a shameless uh, plug. Friend of the podcast, T.R. Tart, right? We had T.R. Tart on here last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, to that episode, it's never too late. Uh, and Vrabel, a lot of praise 
uh, for Tart uh, during Monday morning's press conference, right? Called him one of their most improved players uh, while simultaneously reminding the rest of the defense, hey, he's leading us in pass breakups with five. What are the rest of you doing? <laughs> right. And another friend of the podcast, David Long, who uh, came on a long time ago to break down some tape with us, was the hero at the end of that game, playing back near his hometown, went to West Virginia um, College from the that Landover area in Washington, had a lot of family at the game. So nice to see him come out and make a big play like that. While we're on the subject of the defense and pass deflections and cornerbacks, I also got to give a shout out to Christian Fulton, who continues to be a lockdown guy. The Titans basically had him shadowing Terry McLaurin in this game, which is not something you see too often. I think they started doing it more last week against the Colts with Fulton following Michael Pittman Jr. around. This week, he was following Terry McLaurin around. McLaurin did have a, a few catches. He ended up with five catches for 76 yards on six targets, but it was a kind of a quiet, I don't know, felt like a quiet five catches for 76 yards to me a couple on that last drive when the titans were kind of letting the commanders pick up small chunks of yards to bleed clock and and really defend the goal line not allow anything over the top so christian fulton a standout guy at cornerback and really the only cornerback the titans have that they can just rely on to be that guy right now roger mccreary playing well but christian fulton i think you know, he's not in the conversation nationally as one of the best corners in the league, but I think that without him, this Titans defense would fall apart. And he got injured in this game, but toughed it out, came back and, and made big plays towards the end of the game. He did give up that pass interference penalty, but come on, that was a pretty weak call in my opinion. I, I didn't really think that was pass interference. Yeah, I thought that was pretty weak. I didn't, I didn't really think that ball was catchable, in my opinion. And that's where I had the biggest issue with the call. Like, the contact uh, was 50-50. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really think there was a lot of contact there, enough to draw a DPI flag. But then I, I especially thought, the ball's not catchable, so why are we calling DPI on this right. year? Uh, two things I want to point out regarding Fulton. goes back to the original point I made. He's one of the guys that can really use this bye week, right? He's been banged up yeah. a lot over these last couple of games. He's mostly toughed it out. He missed the game against Buffalo. I think that's the only one he's missed this year. Uh, he's, he's largely toughed it out. Um, and then you talk about, I made this point, was it a week ago or two weeks ago, where we said Titans cornerback depth. We were so confident in the depth heading into the season we probably shouldn't have been as confident as we were, you know, hindsight's always 2020. Can you imagine where this secondary, this cornerback room would be without Christian Fulton right now? And on that note, I think it's time to talk about Caleb Farley because Oof. everyone's been saying it since, uh, since the game ended, he has struggled immensely this year and it's hard to pinpoint the, the issue for it. I think the one thing you can really point to is his injuries which he's been recovering from, obviously, the torn ACL last year, the multiple back injuries he had. He's been on the injury report this year with a knee, which we don't really know the full extent, but if you kind of read between the lines, I would guess, in my opinion, that that is some kind of lingering effects from the torn ACL, not being all the way back from that. So Caleb Farley in this game gives up a 75-yard touchdown to Diami Brown, who's basically only getting snaps because Jahan Dotson is out in this game. And... Uh, that was, I don't know, 100% sure, but I think that might have been Caleb Farley's last snap. He did come up and make a, a nice tackle on a little screen play earlier in the game. I saw him on the field earlier in the game, but I don't remember seeing him after that big 75-yard touchdown that he gave up. It's still, like, early in Caleb Farley's career. He's no. a, He was always a very raw player. No. 
He always needed time to develop his technique. He doesn't play with good technique right now. And with the sapped athleticism that he no. seems to be dealing with from the injuries, we know it takes guys sometimes a whole year off an ACL injury. My question no. is, how much rope do we give Caleb Farley here? How many times do we keep saying, give him more time before we just say, this kid ain't it? No, you cut the rope. The rope is gone. It's been thrown in the garbage. I mean, I think... Like that 75, first of all, that was Diami Brown's first career touchdown. For those who are unaware, Diami Brown until yesterday was probably best known for being one of the receivers Amon uh, Ross St. Brown points out for being drafted ahead <laughs> of him. Like that's all Diami Brown had done up until now. Um, that rep was just so bad in all yeah. honesty. Like he just ran right by him, right? And Farley had no hope, not a chance in the world at defending that play. Like, I think Mike, uh, Mike Herndon, Mike Miracles had mentioned this. And I thought the same thing when I was, when I saw that play unfold, like, where is the guy that we thought was like an incredible athlete coming out of college, right? Coming out of Virginia Tech, like the guy that supposedly ran 4-2 and certainly looked like a, at, at worst 4-3, right? At Virginia Tech, like the speed just isn't there. It's, it seems gone. Right. And you talked about the injuries and that's probably the, you know, certainly the main reason why that, that appears to be the case, but is it coming back? Like, I don't know that it is right. Like you just, well, that's why I brought up the, the torn ACL and that it, it does take players a long time sometimes to come back from you a just torn can't ACL. have him on the field right now. Like you want to talk about rostering him in 2023, and giving him a, a chance to be your fourth cornerback, maybe. But, like, that's the best I can do right now. Like, is he can't be on the field. Right? Like, they asked Mike Vrabel about him on Monday. And Vrabel very honestly said, I think the only – gave a one-sentence answer, said, we can't give up things behind us. Right? Like, it was just – it was such a bad rep. And, like, we saw him get schooled against Buffalo by Jake Kumaro a couple weeks ago for a 40. Like, he's giving up explosive passing plays with regularity despite barely playing. To like, it's backups. Wild. To backup receivers who yes, are only bad, playing because. Like, like Jake Kumaro, as I, I pointed out, he was a bad NFL receiver. Only Miami played Brown, because Gabe Davis. On, yeah. Yeah, year and a half into his career. But he was, like, a third top 100 pick. Has been a, a flop so far, very much like Caleb Farley. And he just totally schooled them on that play. Like he played not, he played nine snaps on Sunday. Farley did. Yeah. That's 14% of their defensive snaps. He gave up an eight, a 75 yard touchdown on nine snaps. Like that's wild. <laughs> Terrence Mitchell ends up playing 55 snaps, 87% uh, of the defensive snaps. Essentially Farley got benched for Mitchell after that. Rightfully so. And you yep. know, a lot of Titans fans have egg on their face and we'll get into that a little later after, you know, calling for the staff's head almost for, for playing Mitchell ahead of Farley. Well, now you know why. And now yeah, you know I, why. Like, this is why, right? This is Mitchell, who Caleb Farley is. Um, it's bad, man. It's really bad. Like, you just, you can't have him on the field right now. Like, and think about it. Like, he's barely getting on the field right now with the Terrence Mitchell being an option. I, I know, again, I've said this a few times, and I know Elijah Molden and, and Hugo Amadi are slot-only players, but it's only going to get worse for Caleb Farley when they get back. Right, because Roger McCurry is not going to be kicking inside. He's going to be playing on the boundary. And guess what? If something happens where Roger McCurry has to kick inside, it's going to be Terrence Mitchell, as it should be based on what we're seeing right now. 
Mitchell actually played a decent game. I mean, I don't remember he didn't his name didn't get called, right? So yeah. he didn't and he like, played a decent game last week against the Colts too, by the way, in all honesty, right? right? Like after the debacle, he had a debacle against Vegas. It was horrible. We all acknowledge that, and that's why we lost our mind. He was playing over Farley. But Mitchell <laughs> has strung together two pretty decent weeks. And Roger McCreary, speaking of played every defensive snap in this game, which means he was on the field probably in two cornerback sets as an outside corner and then bumping inside to the nickel for the for three quarterback sets and played pretty well. I mean, he also gave up a touchdown to Deami Brown, but that was a totally different kind of play Agreed. because he was right there in the hip pocket. He was, I mean, it was great coverage and Wentz dropped a dime right Beautiful into Diami Brown's left arm, which Diami caught with basically one hand because McCreary was doing the the little sly veteran move of pinning his inside arm to his to his side. So I mean, a really great throw, really great catch. Sometimes that happens. McCreary did have a pass breakup on Washington's first drive, and overall, I thought played a good game. And he's a guy. He's a young corner. The Titans can look at and build on, like with Christian Fulton and with hopefully Elijah Molden if he ever gets back on the field. But but Caleb Farley, probably not one of those guys. Definitely not right now. And you just hope that the long-term prospects pan out for him to be like a good special teams player because that's that's where he's at right now. I saw Kevin Dyson on the radio earlier this week saying he might need to change to safety, right? Like everyone's searching for answers. This thing's getting pretty dire um, with him. What I'll say on, on McCreary, two quick points. Um, and I, I don't want, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have led with this, but not to be pessimistic, but I'm not ready to claim victory on him yet, like 100%. Like, I'm not 100% saying with certainty that he's going to be an excellent NFL cornerback. I think that would be a little premature. He's given up some things. But two, two areas I want to give him so much credit for um, is imagine if they didn't have him, right? Again, we go back to the 2022 NFL draft where everyone was like, what a luxury pick for a team that can't afford a luxury. Like, they did not need to draft a cornerback no, thank God that they did, right? Like, thank God that they did. Because Roger McCurry, for him to come in, and, play, and this is not the first week he's played 100% of their defensive snaps. He's already done it. So they're relying on him so much. It's really impressive, you know, for a second-round cornerback. And, yes, I know he played at Auburn. He played in the SEC. That's part of it, right? He was battle-tested. He came in ready to play in the NFL. But for him to be coming in and giving him 100% of defensive snaps, to handle the versatility of playing both inside and outside. Like, remember when Christian Fulton came in the league and they talked about not overwhelming him, not asking him to handle multiple positions? They've asked Roger McCurry to do that for them essentially on a weekly basis right now, right? Like, literally any given down. Like, you're playing inside, you're playing outside. It's so impressive that he's been able to put that on his plate, right? Just from even a technical standpoint, to understand the defense enough, to be able to play multiple positions. Super, super impressed with with what Roger McCreary has given them. Christian Fulton barely played as a rookie. I mean, he was in like the first couple games, hurt his hamstring and hardly played again the rest of the year. He really broke out his second year in the league, and that was huge for the Titans defense. But yeah, it took him a while. Roger McCreary has just jumped into the fire and, you know, He's taken a few bruises, but overall, I think the the upside there is so promising from what he's already been able to show. And I want to remind everyone again, we talked about this last week, but Titans defense did not get healthier this game. They were no. missing Ola Adani and Bud Dupree again at edge. Zach Cunningham and Joe Jones, who, I mean, Joe Jones, whatever, but Zach Cunningham out again. again. Amani Hooker, still not back from the concussion that he suffered. You know Harold Landry's out for the year, so... A lot and of backup Uhu, Uhu guys. Amadi. I thought he was going to come back this week and play in right. the slot, which would have limited, um, you know, Farley and Mitchell snaps on the outside. 
But Amadi, again, that was a bit of a surprise to me. I thought, and I don't know, I don't, I don't, I, I assume he wasn't a healthy scratch, but it felt like he was going to get back into, no. I mean, maybe he was a healthy scratch. He was I, on I the injury report and questionable going into the game. So I think that right. was injury related. I, I would assume, but the point is, I, I wanted to throw his name into the mix because all of those guys missed the Colts game. And we thought, okay, they're going to get healthier in time for Washington. And no, all of them were out again. <laughs> Yep. And uh, let's put a bow on this defensive discussion here. Um, Titans only forced one turnover in this game, but they, it was the crucial turnover that they needed to force. And Shout we're going to wrap... David Long, man. Oh, what yeah. Play. Great, great play. Great game overall for David Long. He uh, led the team in tackles with uh, 11 combined tackles. Kevin Byard next on the list with eight. So that is uh, a pretty su- substantial lead there for David Long. He also had a pass deflection in addition to his interception. We're going to wrap up this defensive discussion here with our beef of the week brought to you by the pharmacy burger parlor in east nashville make sure you're checking out the pharmacy for your best burger options in nashville they have vegan options as well so not just for the beef eaters out there our beef of the week this week though is between i don't know us titans fans people in general and the titans defensive coaching staff which i don't know really how to frame this but we were wrong and we should Eat the, yeah, the, the crow. beef of the week is with ourselves. It's not with yeah. the Titans coaching staff. It's with you and I for thinking that they didn't know what they were doing by putting Terrence Mitchell ahead of Caleb Farley in games, right? Like we'll go back and listen to our show a few weeks ago after the Vegas game. You and I are idiots. I don't even know why people listen to this. Well, show. we said it can't be worse than what Terrence Mitchell did, which I don't know. I mean, it was worse. <laughs> it was worse. We were wrong. Lo and behold, Titans coaching staff knows more than you and I. What a shocker, right? The people who are actually coaching at practice every single day and, and get access and insight to everything that we don't have knew exactly what they were doing because we were very wrong to complain about Terrence Mitchell being in the game ahead of Caleb Farley. That is the beef of the week. It's between you and I. Look, we could have gone in a few directions. We could have had beef with uh, Dennis Daly for being a <laughs> pylon at left tackle. <laughs> right? Just we could have We could have had beef with potentially Aaron Brewer in pass protection, which, by the way, was our worst matchup of the week last week, sponsored by the pharmacy. We hit the nail on the head. What did we pick for the worst matchup of the week? Aaron Brewer versus Jonathan Allen. That was a big problem for the Titans. I think Aaron Brewer played his worst game in pass pro this year. Yeah, but but Dennis Daly might have been even worse, so maybe we were slightly wrong on that one. <laughs> it's honestly impressive. I don't know who was worse. It's, 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 it's really tough to say like Dylan Radence was bad in this. We'll get into that on the offensive side. Dylan Radence was bad in this game. He was, he was definitely not one of their worst two offensive line. I don't know that he was bad. Let's, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball. That was your beef of the week presented by the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden in East Nashville. Moving over to the offensive side, let's start with the offensive line because they were like the engine that made the Titans offense not go. If that, I don't know, that <laughs> phrase doesn't make sense. But it was an engine they, in, a, in a 1964 vehicle that no longer works. Yeah, in 2022, it was a broken engine that does not run. Um, man, the, Ryan Tannehill sacked five times, could have been seven or eight times. One play that was just unbelievable by Tannehill before we get into the offensive line was the one oh. where he's like, basically, I thought they were going to blow the whistle for being in the grasp, which well, honestly, they should have. <laughs> um, but uh, Tannehill gets the ball out to Dontrell Hilliard on a key third down for the Titans' only scoring drive in the second half. That was a huge play and a much-needed play. Set up the Nick Westbrook shot that led to the touchdown. So, um, yeah, 
the offensive line, though, Nate Davis did not play in this game at right guard. So the big conversation before the game was who's going to play if Nate Davis can't go? Is it going to be Jordan Roos? Jamarco Jones still out, so he's not an option. Or could it be second round pick from last year, Dylan Radins? And it ended up being Dylan Radins. So the Titans offensive line from left to right, Dennis Daly, a backup, Aaron Brewer, an undrafted free agent left guard who won, air quotes, won the job in training camp, but because his main competition was never on the field. Ben Jones, stalwart center, great player that you can rely on at center. So one good player on the offensive line. Right guard, Dylan Radins, who has been relegated to playing guard because he failed as a tackle. And right tackle, rookie third-round pick, Nicholas Petit-Frere, who plays decent but commits too many penalties and doesn't really hold up well in pass protection. So a disaster on the offensive line in this game. And you mentioned Dylan Radins was the second best player behind Ben Jones, I thought, in this game. Um <laughs> The left side of the line in pass protection was just atrocious. The Titans opened the game with a sack. Of course, that opening play was Jeff Swaim trying to block Montez Sweat after he was chipped by a receiver or running back coming out of the backfield. And then it's up to Jeff Swaim to to make that block there against the you know commander's best pass rusher with Chase Young out of the lineup. And that went as predictably as it, you would expect with him bulldozing Jeff Swain right into Tannehill and, and getting a sack on the first play. But so many drives were just crushed by the offensive line failing to protect Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill's also got to do a better job because on that play, it's play action. You know Jeff Swain is one-on-one with Montez Sweat. There actually was a little bit of room for Tannehill to step up in that pocket and, and you know, move with the ball. I rewatched the game this morning. I... On first watch, I'm like, the offensive line sucks. It's not Tannehill's fault. On second watch, I'm like, you know your offensive line isn't very good. You know you're going to have to be able to like move in the pocket here. And there was definitely room for him to step up on that play. But overall, I mean, the Titans' passing offense is so hamstrung by, A, their lack of weapons at wide receiver, because their best receiver right now is Derrick Henry. I think, I haven't looked this up, but I think Dontrell Hilliard is leading the team in receiving touchdowns with three. Oh, for sure. He's got like three. Yeah, <laughs> and he didn't play a game, so yeah. <laughs> and he's leading the team in receiving touchdowns. And then, uh, you know, there's like just no pass protection. You can't run a drop back passing offense if you can't protect the quarterback. So how do you improve is the question. Where do you go from here? Because things aren't looking like they're going to get better after the Taylor Lawan's not coming back. Nate Davis is. But again, Dylan Radins wasn't your issue today. It's your tackles that are your issues. Aaron Brewer that can't hold up in pass protection. Where do you go from here? It's a tough question. There's a couple of things I want to say about the offensive line. First of all, I'm not disagreeing with you that Tannehill can't do some things better. Like, sure, you evaluate every play on a you know play-by-play basis and, and look for areas to improve. And I'm sure Tannehill was guilty of some of that. I'm just overall slightly hesitant to mention him at all, right? Because, like, I commend his toughness, right, for standing in there, going through his progressions. That play to Hilliard we mentioned was incredible, like, what a tough situation he's being straddled with right now. This is bad, right? Like, this was the I worst game that. they've played this year um, in, in pass protection. Uh, where do you go from here? I mean, look, you're going to get Nate Davis back. He's your second best offensive lineman behind Ben Jones, right? So that's a positive. And I know you said Radens wasn't their issue, but he wasn't really good either, right? Like, I, don't, I don't think he was a, a plus per se, right? Whereas Nate Davis has been a plus. Like Nate Davis has been really yeah. good this season. So you're getting Nate Davis back. You're going to get better there at right guard. You feel excellent at what you have at center. At right tackle, you just hope that NPF um, starts playing better as the season progresses. And he may, right? Like as a rookie, that's it's it's fairly common, right? That they get better as they go. And he hasn't been 
at least by my standards, he hasn't been a full blown disaster, right? Like, no, he has. Beat- he has shown the promise and potential to be a right. good right tackle, a solid, reliable player. So I think as the season progresses, you still feel pretty good about the right side of your offensive line. You feel incredible about your center. It's that left side, like you said, right? Like, I don't think you're going to find much of a solution at left guard. Like, and keep in mind, Aaron Brewer has been really good as a run blocker. Yeah, I was going to say that. And great in the screen game. I mean, he was out there blocking for Henry on that 24-yard pickup uh, screen. He was out there on the Hillier touchdown. So, like, he's done great things. He's just... It's like one or two or five plays a game. He just gets bulldozed in pass protection. And uh, I don't know if you saw Keith Carter's comments this morning talking about that, how basically Keith Carter said Aaron Brewer's got to know his limitations. He's got to know that he's undersized, and therefore his technique has got to be sound, and sometimes it's not. He relies on athleticism too much, which doesn't work when you're that undersized. Interesting comment by Keith Carter. I, I think ultimately, look, and of course, that's Keith Carter's job. They should be striving to improve his technique by, in hopes of limiting those, um, you know, really bad moments in pass protection. But I ultimately think, and again, this is because we're not tasked with doing this job, that he probably is who he is, right? Like, look, he's so good in the screen game, so good as a run blocker because he's so athletic. Because right. he kind of is undersized, right? That's why right. He's, it contributes to why he's more athletic than most offensive linemen. And those same things are the reason why he's probably never going to be incredible in pass protection, right? Like when he's going up against a guy like Jonathan Allen, which was a matchup, again, we had identified last week, he's probably going to struggle and give up some things in pass pro, right? So I, I think ultimately he probably is who he is. And I don't know how much better he's going to get, not only as the season goes on, but maybe even ever, right? Like, and, that's a, and that sounds unfair to say, because again, they should continue working towards improvement, of course, right? Like that's the ultimate goal. But I think that's us probably acknowledging what the shortcomings are and what the chances are that they get better. He's probably your starting left guard for the rest of the year. Do they consider going to Dylan Radens there once Nate Davis gets back? I don't think so. I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I don't get the impression that they're frustrated enough with Aaron Brewer to make a change here. Left tackle is the one that I'm really watching to make a change because I think Dennis Bailey has been even worse because, again, at least Aaron Brewer is giving you something, right? There's a net positive involved with Aaron Brewer in the stream game, which by the way has become a pretty big part of their passing game out of necessity probably, but regardless has become a big part of their passing game. And he's giving you something as a run blocker, right? Derrick Henry has been really good the last couple of weeks and Aaron Brewer's played a role in that. I don't know that Dennis Daly's giving you anything, right? Like he's the disaster in pass pro and he's not good in as a run blocker either. So that's the position they really need to consider making a change at during the bye week in my opinion. I totally agree. I think, I mean, we could be sitting here with egg on our face again in a couple weeks, similar to (laughs) Terrence Mitchell, Caleb Farley, but I'll say it. How can Dylan Dylan Radins be worse than what Dennis Daly has given you? I mean, at least he has the upside of being a young player with relatively little experience who we haven't seen be bad that much yet, at least in live game situations. (laughs) Dylan Radins played two, started two games for the Titans, one at left tackle, one at right guard. He was pretty decent. I mean, he wasn't like a huge plus, but he was decent as a left tackle against the 49ers last year on Thursday Night Football, and he was decent at right guard. I mean, he wasn't a huge plus. PFF has him at, at uh, what, 45.9 
run blocking grade this week, so it's not like he was really doing a whole lot. But Dennis Daly now has had two games with an under 30 PFF grade. <laughs> I mean, that is like, whatever, PFF grain of salt, yada yada. But that is just abysmal. P- and, the protect- eye test, I mean, and the eye test tells you, it's like, I don't care what the grade was. It, it was abysmal, right? Like, it's yeah. pretty, pretty straightforward so, to say. Whether it's Dylan Radins or maybe you give Jamarco Jones, who you signed as a free agent, if he gets healthy over the bye week, maybe give him a chance. But you got to shuffle it. You got to f- try something else because Dennis Daly is going to keep the offense from being able to make explosive plays down the field all season long. Now, while we're on that subject, I would like to talk about the passing offense because even – with the can I, atrocious can I say run something blocking. really quickly on that point? Yeah. I feel that they probably view Radens almost as a like essentially a guard only uh, now, and Jamarco Jones are probably also a guard only. So if they're going to make a change here, um, it's probably LaRaven Clark, someone that none of you remember is I on remember. the roster. Um, <laughs> LaRaven Clark last season, can't remember who he played for. I'm going to be honest with you. I've got it up here on PFF, but played 74 offensive snaps, not a lot of offensive snaps. It was all at right tackle, had a pass blocking grade of 44.1 and a run blocking grade of 71.2. So at least he gave them something as a run blocker. It sounded like it was a disaster um, uh, in pass pro. The year before that, 125 snaps at left tackle, uh, sorry, 22 at right tackle. Uh, was even worse, though. 49.1 overall grade PFF, 42.6 pass blocking, 52.4 run blocking. So it sounds like, again, and, and we're making awfully quick assumptions here, but sounds like he's a better run blocker than pass protector. Doesn't sound very good in pass pro. Uh, maybe it's if they go to him, it's just as bad in pass pro as it is with Dennis Daly, but it gets a little better in run blocking. Like, you almost have to try something, right? I don't know that you can keep putting Dennis Daly out there I would like to see it be Dylan Radins, but I feel like we're beating a dead horse with that. Like, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. I think that's, I, I still think your best five combination right now probably includes Radins, Nate Davis, all, all of them, right? NPF and Aaron Brewer, right? The way things are. Jamarco Jones, you, you mentioned, and he's played tackle before. Look, I'm all for it because I'm all for anything that isn't Dennis Daly at this point. <laughs> um, but I do have a feeling if they're going to try something, it might be LaRaven Clark. They just got him recently, right? Signed him off a practice squad, I believe. You're heading into a bye week, more time for him to get acclimated with the offense, yada, yada, grasp your playbook. I would just like to see something change. I'd like to see a different left tackle against the Colts in week seven. Yeah, try something, I think, is the point we have here. So <laughs> we're in agreement on that. Um, whatever they try, we'll see if it works. I, I mean, I don't have super high hopes, but at least it, it would be a, a different, and different would be welcome at this point. The passing offense, very hamstrung by this O-line. But, you know, they run this little play to Robert Woods. They've done it all season long. It's like Tannehill takes a snap, and as soon as he has the ball in his hands, he's throwing a quick out to Robert Woods. And they ran it three times in this game, and twice it was very successful. And once, Robert Woods had a pretty killer drop on the sideline while the Titans are backed up at their own two-yard line and would have gone for a first down on second down. And then on third and long, they try a, a screen to Hilliard that gets tackled behind the line of scrimmage. And then you have Ryan Stonehouse punting with his heels on the back of the end zone line, and he punted like a 38-yard punt that the where the commanders started in Titans territory, and that led to the De'Ami Brown second touchdown. So the drop was killer, but that play works. 
And I don't know if you run it too much, if it stops working, or what the deal is with it, but the the quick passing offense, I would really like to see the Titans try to implement more quick passes into this offense. Whether it's, I mean, hell, I don't care if you're throwing it to Jeff Swaim. I don't care who the target is. You get Ryan Tannehill to, to identify the coverage, get the snap, and get the ball out of his hand in like a second to anyone who's three to five yards downfield. Or how about try one wide receiver screen? I can't remember one single wide receiver screen this entire season. I'm watching Red Zone. I'm watching the London game. I was watching the afternoon games yeah. on Sunday. In the London game, Aaron Rodgers, offensive line not playing well, getting a lot of pressure from the Giants' defensive line. Aaron Rodgers, and granted, they lost the game, but Aaron Rodgers getting the ball out of his hand so quickly. Every single play, it's like snap, throw, snap, throw. The, uh, the Eagles game, I'm watching the Eagles against the Cardinals. Uh, their offense didn't look that great either. But I see at least three plays in like a three different series. They snap the ball and throw it to Devonta Smith like as soon as the ball is snapped. And Smith slips the first tackle and runs forward for eight yards. And now you're in second and two. As opposed to some of these plays where, granted, I think Derrick Henry is the engine of your offense. And you give him the ball as much as it makes sense to give him the ball. But there were a couple plays in this game where... It's a first and 10, and it's an obvious run situation. The Titans hand it off to Derrick Henry, and Jeff Swaim's trying to block Montez Sweat, or or Dylan Radins completely whiffs on a block as soon as the ball is snapped, and Henry loses four yards. He had two carries for minus four yards, minus eight yards total, on two carries in this game. Like, on those first downs, when the defense is crowding the line of scrimmage, check to a super quick pass play and just get the ball out of Tannehill's hands. It's like they they are allergic to a quarterback-friendly passing offense. The only quarterback-friendly pass plays they have are these screens, which aren't even that quarterback-friendly. The Derrick Henry screen that went for 24 yards, that actually was an incredible play by Ryan Tannehill to get the ball through traffic. The Dontrell Hilliard screen that was a touchdown, Tannehill had three guys like on top of him when he made that throw to Hilliard. He ended that play on his back and had to watch I, Hilliard run in the end zone from, I did from love the that play, though. turf. That was I a beautiful play design, a great play. counter to the Henry screen, Henry swing pass that they ran against the Colts from that same area and, of the field. And hadn't Henry just had a screen pass like a few plays yeah, before that one? It so was, you feel no, like it was back-to-back. It was back-to-back. Henry yeah, screen. I so. Very next play was the Hillier touchdown. So, I mean, Tannehill does a great job with those. But all I'm asking for from this coaching staff is plays that make it easier on Ryan Tannehill to mitigate how bad the pass protection is. Because most of their pass plays are him dropping back under play action. And they had a really low play action rate in this game, like 16%. I think it was their lowest play action rate of the season. And I think the reason for that is because even when you have seven guys blocking – you still can't protect him. So they they didn't run as many play action plays in this game because they don't want Tannehill standing in the pocket for four seconds. But they also they don't run. To develop. They also don't run the quick passes though. Like, well, like if you like, I don't know. I just it's I don't get it. You you have a better memory than I do. I went on a rant a few weeks ago. I can't remember what it might have been after the Bills game, most likely knowing how bad that one was. But yeah. I went on a rant about how. The drop back passing game is broken because you can't pass protect and you can't, uh, you don't have the weapons to get open, right? With any regularity, not to pat myself on the back. I don't think that was like revolutionary, but I feel really good about that rant, right? Going back yeah. several weeks because 
they can't pass protect. It's that simple. And it just, it really does hamstring your offense so much. It really, like you mentioned the play action rate being down. We all love play action. We know this offense, when this offense is humming along, it's largely due to play action. But you said it, these plays take longer to develop, right? I, I can understand why their play action passing rate was only 16% in this game. Uh, Greenlaw, right? Uh, Broadway Sports Media, Robert Greenlaw, uh, who does the excellent, t- terrible Twitter takes every week. He tweeted something out with the next gen uh, stat dots, right? Where they were protecting with seven against four and still couldn't protect, right? Like, and look, this was the worst game they played in pass pro this year. Washington low key is one of the best defensive fronts they've played, right? Like even without Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, they got a lot of talented players on that D line. Washington leads the NFL in pressure rate per drop back. Doesn't, doesn't, honestly doesn't shock me. I figured the Bills, you know, that's a wash for me. The Bills have an excellent defensive front. We talked about it that week. I think Washington's got a hell of a defensive front, underrated because it's not a very good football team, right? They lose a lot of games. Really good defensive line players. Wait till Chase Young gets back. They're going to be even better. It's a tough matchup, but all things, taking all that into account, it's just not a very good offensive line, right? They're not very good in pass pro. They're going to struggle two weeks from now against the Colts. Right, if Quiddy Pay is out there, I think he's week to week with an injury. Deo uh, Oda Yingbo, the former Vanderbilt uh, pass rusher, like DeForest Buckner inside. We can do we can do worst matchup of the week right now. Hint hint, right with with DeForest Buckner on that D line inside. But so this is just it's not. I don't know how it gets better, and I don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to. Yeah, and uh, Washington pressure Tannehill on sixty percent of his dropbacks in this game, which is the second highest. QB pressure rate that any team has achieved in 2022 the entire Ouch. season. So that's how bad the Titans O line was. And we talked about, you know, the quick passing game, the pass pro, but so what are you doing, right? You're protecting with seven or six on a okay, more occasion, right? So it's limited. What does that do to your offense, right? It limits the amount of eligible pass catchers you have typically, right? Less, you got less guys running routes because you're keeping more of them to protect. It really is a catch-22, unfortunately, because they, especially with Traylon Burks on IR, you don't have the individual talent, right, to roll out two receivers and win those battles. Like, it's, it's all bad right now. Yeah, Nick Westbrook-Akina is your downfield threat right now, and Nick Westbrook-Akina does not separate from cornerbacks. The first downfield shot they took, it was on a third and short. I really wish they'd just given it to Derrick Henry on that one because Derrick Henry converted a third and short earlier in the game. He converted a fourth and short later in the game. Give the ball to your best player in those situations and just, I mean... On that first third down that Henry converted, he was hitting the backfield. And he broke the tackle, spun forward, and got the first down because he's a good player, and that's what good players do. But Tannehill targeting Westbrook Aquina downfield. I do want to talk about what was the game-winning play for the Titans on offense. Obviously, David Long was the game-winning play on defense. But that game-winning play on offense, Titans have scored 14 points in the second half this season. Seven of those against the New York Giants, seven of those on Sunday against the Commanders. The Titans have scored zero fourth-quarter points this year. Zero fourth quarter points this entire season. And somehow they're three and two on a three game winning streak. <laughs> but the game winning play was the downfield throw to Nick Westbrook Aquina, which good job by Aquina making the uh, the adjustment on a ball that was down the field, kind of a, a floating ball downfield. The corner just that, lost it too, right? Kind of like. that play was a hundred percent made by Ryan Tannehill because it was a two man route. He had Chigaquanko running the sail underneath uh, Westbrook Aquina running the post. And Tannehill was looking for a Quanco on the sail route. And his little pump fake is why the corner inexplicably abandoned Westbrook Aquina down the field. Is because Tannehill started a little throwing motion to that under route, the sail route to a Quanco. 
The corner comes off it. Tannehill sees Westbrook Aquino with the what was a one-on-one, but really it was a one-on-none at the time, and launches it downfield to him. And Tannehill talked about it uh, after the game. He said he sees his guy with a one-on-one, just wants to give his guy a chance to go up and make a play. Great mentality when that's a good receiver and nothing against Nick Westbrook Aquino, but we saw it on the earlier deep shot. Like he just doesn't really have the ability to separate. He makes tough catches at times. He's a tough, hard-nosed player. He blocks well, but his strength is not separating down the field on deep routes. So the fact that the Titans were even able to pull that play off, huge credit to Ryan Tannehill standing in the pocket, pump fake, fools the defense, throws it downfield, and the Titans, you know, once the Titans get in the red zone, they're money. Titans are 12 of 13 converting in the That's red zone crazy. this season. Which must be, must be must be Tim Kelly calling those plays. In the red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I guess Todd Downing scripted the opening series this time because the Titans went three and out back-to-back plays. So Correct. Yes. Um, Todd Downing's got to do better than giving up that first down sack. Yeah, exactly. Um, he does got to do better than putting Jeff Swain on Montez Sweat and not saying, hey, Tannehill, you got Jeff Swain blocking Montez Sweat here. You got to get the ball out of your hand. Austin Hooper's open in the flat. Throw the ball. Of course, I get why Tannehill's not throwing to Austin Hooper as much. Guy that looks like he's hardly even trying out there. Yeah, Austin Hooper looks like he's got like molasses for feet. I don't know what happened to Austin Hooper, but probably one of the biggest disappointments for me this year, in all honesty. They're probably excited to get that $6 million off the books um, uh, this uh, this offseason. Uh, I got a chance to catch up with Ryan Fowler, right, from the Draft Network who we had on oh, nice. doing this game uh, you know, this morning. Montez Sweat was a guy, right? He wasn't super high on heading into this one, right? Like a guy, right. Like, believe it or not, Montez Sweat hasn't shown enough. Like people think he's capable of, of being an incredible pass rusher, hasn't shown enough. Uh, Ryan Fowler called out the best game of his career on Sunday. Well, what, what did I say to Ryan in response? It's not going to be Dennis Daly every week at left tackle. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's really not. But I want to go back to the Titans red zone offense here because on the one hand, the Titans getting in the red zone, executing is unbelievable. They even overcame penalties in this game. They had a third and two that turned into a third and seven because of an inexplicable delay of game penalty. But then Tannehill hits Austin Hooper, who the uh, maligned, much maligned Austin Hooper over the middle Hooper catches the ball on the ground a little bit short of the first down, and luckily this week he had the wherewithal to roll forward and get the first down, which he did not have a couple weeks back um, against the Raiders when he went down on right in front of the sticks and just stayed on the ground. Um, but at least this game, he got the first down. I think that was his only catch of the game. Yes, it was his only catch of the game on his only target of the game. But the Titans being really good in the red zone also scares me. Because 12 of 13 in the red zone, that's not a sustainable number. You're not going to go 98% in the red zone for the whole season. You're going to have weeks where you go one for four or worse in the red zone. What happens in those games? Like, if the Titans had one less red zone conversion in each of the last three games that they were perfect in the red zone in, they lose. So... I don't know how to feel about it. Like, on the one hand, it's great that they're so good in the red zone. But, like, this is a small sample size thing that's not sustainable. And at some point, the num- the percentage is going to go down. It'll and when it does, the mean. exactly. And when that happens, the Titans are going to start losing games that they've been winning against, by the way, not very good teams. I mean, the Raiders, the Colts, and the Commanders, like, what do they have? Three wins combined? Well, I guess the Colts have two. So four wins combined uh, in five and games this season. And the Raiders play on Monday, right? So it could, could increase, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. The Raiders play tonight, but they do. Uh, well, Tim, we're recording this on Monday. They do play the Chiefs, so I'm I'm expecting <laughs> that the Chiefs will go to four and one in this game. So, four combined wins for the Titans, who have won their last three games. But it's not like they are beating. You know, they played one good team this year, and the, they got blown out by a million points. So, 
When this regresses to the mean, I'm concerned. Now, the good news for the Titans is that they have a bye week, then they play the Colts, then they play the Texans. So they have some time to kind of get things right, and they have some games against lesser competition where if they aren't as successful, they might be able to pull out the win. But a division game is always difficult. It sucks when the bad teams on your schedule are in your division because it's like not really being a bad team anymore. It's like <laughs> just playing a team that knows you, and so it's harder. But anyway, I'm concerned about the red zone success. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it does make sense. And with those upcoming opponents – you feel like they should win both, but they're almost certainly going to drop one, aren't they? Right. I would, I don't know. They, the Titans have a very realistic shot at being five and three heading into a week eight matchup against the Chiefs. Sorry, five and, five two, and two heading into a week eight matchup against the Chiefs, which would be a really nice place to be. And le- need I remind everybody, like, when I say the Titans should be four and one, it's like there are some should be's that are like, oh, you're looking at a play in the middle of the fourth quarter that no, could have gone be. the other way. Like this is a real should be a 47 yard field goal as time expires doesn't flip like the rest of the game. It's like literally that field goal. Most teams make that field goal. And yeah, we saw some backup kickers missing kicks this weekend on Sunday. But like, you know, the Cardinals are signing a guy that. Kansas City cut a few weeks ago because he wasn't good enough to replace Harrison Butker, and now he's kicking for the Cardinals and missing field goals. And the the Browns lost the game on a missed field goal, too. They got a rookie out there kicking for them on a 50-plus yarder. Randy Bullock's got to make a 47-yard field goal, and the Titans are 4-1. and one. So it's like they really should be 4-1. and one. So I don't know. This might be the, the least excited I've ever seen the fan base on a three-game winning streak for a team that should be 4-1. and one. I mean... The Titans right now, if the playoffs started, would have the three seed. It's it's very early to say something like that. But, like, I can't believe how negative the vibes around the fan base with this team are right now, considering that they have been successful overall. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I, I think where I am right now is I still, you know, I, I certainly don't think they can win the Super Bowl by any stretch of the imagination. In all honesty, like I, it's pretty much impossible for me to see that happening. But I do feel good about being three and two, right? And you should feel good about them winning three straight games, including two on the road and a divisional road game against the Colts. Like, it's frustrating to a degree that Washington were even in that position, of course, to win that game at the end. But it also feels good to know that they're capable of pulling those games out. And not just occasionally, honestly, with regularity, right? Like, that's basically what they did against all three wins, right? Vegas, the exactly. Colts, and Washington. It feels like we've watched three same games in a row, right? Against all three exactly. of those teams. And they won all three of them. And again, winning on the road, two straight on the road, winning in the division. I still think this team is essentially, and there are aspects that are frustrating, but they're essentially what I thought they were preseason. I thought they weren't as good as they were last year, but I still thought it was disrespectful not to think they were the best team in the AFC South. And I do still think they're the best team in the AFC South. And I think they're going to make the playoffs. They're exactly, maybe I shouldn't say exactly, because again, the offensive line, I thought would be a little better than this. I thought Caleb Farley would be better, yada, yada. But they're pretty much what I thought they would be. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And I will counter your point by saying that once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. I don't think anyone expected the Bengals, who had worse offensive line issues than the Titans have right now last year, Going into the playoffs, I mean, they they won their wild card game on a goal line interception as, as time expired to beat the Raiders. 
They beat the Titans despite giving up nine sacks in a game where Ryan Tannehill threw three horrible interceptions. And, and then the kicker made like a 55-yard field goal, whatever it was, to win the Right. Game. And then they go on to beat the Chiefs uh, in a game that nobody saw coming where somehow their defense stifled Patrick Mahomes, made it to the Super Bowl, right? And if you look around the league right now, the uh, if the playoffs started today, Rams and Bengals, Super Bowl player, Super Bowl contending teams, would not be in the playoffs right now. Granted, it's only five weeks in. There's a lot of time. I think there's a pretty good chance at least one of them is going to miss it. Maybe both. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Especially in a loaded AFC and an NFC that looks a lot better than anyone expected with the Giants and the Cowboys at four and one. But anyway, that's another conversation. My point is you make the playoffs, anything can happen. So I will kind of just give you a little bit of pushback on that. That said, I agree with you. I don't think this is a Super Bowl (laughs) team by any stretch. I do think if they get healthier, we've seen Mike Vrabel's teams improve as the season goes on before, I think this Titans team can continue to improve. I think there is a, a tiny ray of hope that inserting Dylan Radens at left tackle can at least give you a slightly above average, or sorry, sorry, slightly below average pass <laughs> protection as opposed to way, way, way below average pass protection that they are right near bottom of the league pass protection right now. But as I've said like on every preview show we've done this year, Every offensive line in the league basically is bad, except for like the Lions and the Eagles and I don't know, maybe a couple other teams like that. The offensive line situations across the NFL are are horrendous. So you're not necessarily at that much of a disadvantage by having a subpar offensive line where you where you're at a disadvantage right now is all the injuries on defense. You know, get Amani Hooker back, get Bud Dupree back, get Zach Cunningham back and try something on the offensive line. Get Traylon Burks back. Like, I think that this team has a chance to continue improving as the season goes on. They do have a tougher schedule coming up after these next two games. They play the Chiefs. Then they get the Broncos, who are a lot worse than anyone expected them to be. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett might not even be the coach by the time the Titans play the Broncos if things continue in the disastrous fashion they have been. They had to play the Packers, which is a tough game. They got the Chargers. They got the Cowboys. They got the Eagles. They got some tough games on the schedule. But if they can go win some of those games like they were able to do last season when they hit that tough part of their schedule and they beat all these eventual playoff teams, if they do that this year... It'll give me a lot more confidence in them going forward. But as it stands right now, again, we said it at the top of the episode, the bye week comes at such a great time to go make those self-adjustments and get healthy and come out for the second half of the season. And then they got to play the Packers on Thursday night football in a couple of months. That'll be their next chance to kind of take a break. You know, they'll get a mini bye after that. So we talked about this in the preseason, but... Having a week six bye sometimes feels too early. Sometimes feels like you don't want to have a bye that early. I think the Titans need a bye right now, and it helps that they get two Thursday night football matchups where they get a little mini bye after that heading into the end of the season. So I don't know. I think the Titans are in a good place. I think they could be better, but a lot of teams could be better. And looking around the NFL, you know, it feels like the Eagles and the Bills are the only two really, really good teams. And everyone else has a lot of flaws that they have to try to overcome every single week. And the Titans are no different. There's a lot of parity right now. And I'd probably throw the Chiefs in there, too, although they dropped that stinker to the Colts. So I'd understand maybe why you're uh, not including them. I think that pretty much does it. I think we covered it. Uh, Hell of a recap episode. Titans go into the bye. We will return next week again with only one episode because we won't have a game to recap. We'll be previewing the Colts game. Maybe we'll drop that early, right? We typically drop that preview on Thursdays, right? I Mm -hmm. think perhaps we'll drop that on a Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe just because 
you'll as a Titans fan, you'll be anxious for that next game. You'll be looking forward to the Colts game, ready for a preview show. Uh, so stay tuned. Graver and I will be recording that preview episode next week against the Colts. Yep, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, we will remind you all to check out the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. The bye week is a great week to check it out because you got no stress to worry about the Titans. You don't have to like be glued to your TV for four hours on Sunday. You can go have the best burger you'll eat in Nashville. Some nice uh, draft craft beers. There's a full soda fountain so you can take your kids. You can have a great time. Your family can eat uh for not too expensive of a price. You can call ahead to reserve a table or you can pick up and order out. You know, takeout is still a thing. So uh, I think everyone should check out the pharmacy during this bye week and we will, if we were in Nashville, I mean, I think we'd spend the whole bye week there. I, I might never leave. And I think the biggest benefit to eating at the pharmacy during the bye week is if you choose to go on a Sunday when the Titans are not playing, every time you look down to grab a bite of your burger, when you look up, Dennis Daly won't have lost the battle in pass protection. <laughs> they won't is, be playing uh, on Sunday. So you're good. You go to the pharmacy and not worry about Dennis Daly. This is basically the only week we can say that until the Titans decide to make a change at starting left tackle. Um, all right. Like you said, that will do it for this week. Make sure everyone is checking out broadwaysportsmedia.com. We have this amazing thing called the Insider Pass. Justin, what is the Insider Pass? Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just 99 cents or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F-Words Pod, uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway Insider. Become an Insider today, you won't regret it. And also remember to check out all the podcasts Broadway Sports Media puts out. You got football and other F words. You got the Hot Read podcast. You got a football show with Zach and Braden that you can watch live from the pharmacy. You got a Second and Victory. There's so much content for you to consume at Broadway Sports Mike Media. Mike Herndon show weekly, the, right? Weekly of Mike Herndon film show that's behind the paywall. So you, you'll need the Broadway Insiders Pass to get access to the full Mike Herndon show. It's a hell of a show weekly. Yeah, so that will do it for us this week. Like Justin said, we'll be back next week to preview Titans Colts. Until then, follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. And stay safe out there. Don't forget to tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.